I do again apologize for last Sunday. You can certainly get my script. Everything is scripted, and you can get that from one of our secretaries, Denise specifically. If you would like it, there's a lot of information that I shared with you last Sunday morning, and this morning I will as well. So I have it all packed in here for you. You'll notice that it reads as if I'm speaking, and that's how I do the sermon notes. A lot of information this morning, a lot of scripture, and I wanted to make sure they were there for you so that you could know that what I'm sharing is from the Word of God, and you can look at it later and process what I'm about to share with you this morning. So I encourage you to take those out as we walk together through this. Seems like over the last few Sundays I've been saying that someone else has been called into the presence of God. And this week, one of our dearest friends, Lorinda Robinson, a missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance, for over two decades entered the presence of Jesus. Serving the Lord together in Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, and recently assigned to Senegal, and uh, this week was called home. So often, we hear those words, and we're just astounded by that. And over the last few months, there's just been a lot of really good friends that have been called into the kingdom of God. I know they would appreciate your prayers. The Bubna family insert is in your bulletin this morning, or I'm sorry, the address for sending a note to them. I know they would appreciate that as well. Lorinda Robinson is from here, the Ambridge area, and I know her family. The memorial service coming up on August the 4th for her. I'm not sure exactly where. I think it's one of the churches in the valley down there in Beaver Valley at 11 o'clock in the morning. As so often you say that someone has been lost or I, I feel bad for your loss, and many have been saying that to a lot of folks over the last few weeks, but we haven't lost any of them. I know exactly where they are. They're in the presence of God. And, uh, but boy, she was one of the most amazing women and amazing missionaries that I've ever met in my life, and I just feel privileged to know her. The sermon this morning is a question that if I were to ask you, I, I have to believe that almost all of us would have an answer. That if I were to ask you, if you had the opportunity to spend some time, either a meal or an afternoon, with someone, either living or dead, who would it be? Someone that you've known or heard about, either living or dead, that you really wish you had the opportunity to spend some time with, who would it be? And I've got to believe that all of you have an answer of some kind or the other. Now, we all have those Sunday school answers, right? Jesus, because he's the answer to every question that we always ask in Sunday school. But beyond that, who would you love to spend some time with? A lunch or a meal or an afternoon, just spend some time with someone to get to know them better. I've got to believe that every one of us in a room would have a hundred different answers. There's a wonderful gal in this room, I'll never mention her by name, but her husband asked her at one point this kind of question at the end of the book they were going through, who would you love to have a meal with? And she said, Pastor Denny. And of course, his answer was, what? Why? I just like to get to know him. You better believe when I found that out, I not only took them out to lunch, I paid for that meal. <laughs> Who would you love to spend some time with? Who would you love to be around? Twelve guys in the New Testament had an opportunity that no one could have ever dreamed possible. Didn't have a lunch, didn't have an afternoon. They had three years with the Son of God. Three years with Jesus, an opportunity that no one could have ever imagined. Can you even fathom what that would have been like, to spend three years with the Son of God? It's one thing to sit down with lunch for someone or with someone or maybe spend a while to talk, but to spend three years watching, learning, observing, and doing ministry with the Son of God? I can't even fathom what that would have been like. Those ordinary lives of these 12 guys were turned upside down because of their ministry with Jesus. And then near the end of those three years, he comes to them 
in a setting that is astounding in John 14, 15, and 16 and said, I just want you to know I'm leaving. They hadn't even processed that they'd been together long enough, let alone to now know that he's leaving. But in John 16, he comes to them and says, I want you to know that I'm going back to the Father who sent me. How do you think they felt? Well, verse 6 says how they felt. Extreme sorrow. Matter of fact, Jesus said to them, I know you're sad based on what I've just told you. And, and then as they're trying to now process this, I mean, three years with someone is not a, a long period of time, let alone the Son of God. And now they hear him say, I'm leaving and going back to the one who sent me. And then you're processing that. And then all of a sudden, verse 7, he says to them, I want you to know it's better that I go. No way. Maybe for you, but not for us. That's how I would have said. That's what I would have responded. It's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send my spirit. And I'm telling you, what he is about to do and what he can do and what he will do is amazing. So for your sake and for the kingdom's sake, it's better for you that I leave. Now, if I were one of the disciples, which I always put myself in that place when I'm reading the word of God, i got to say maybe someday, but not now. I mean, we just saw you die on the cross. And now you came back to life, and we've been spending these days with you, listening and, and, and learning from you, and now you tell us you're leaving. There's no way. He's been saying that all along. John 16 is written before the cross, and I'm sure in those days after in the book of Acts when it says they spent 40 days listening and observing and talking to Jesus about the life they've been living, I've got to believe that this conversation came back up again. But he continued to remind them that it's better for him that he leaves. Because Jesus knew the power of God's Spirit that he was about to send them, that he was promising them was going to enable these ordinary men to do extraordinary things. These guys had rearranged their entire lives around being with Jesus. Because they wanted to be there to see what he was going to do next, and they wanted to be there to see what he was going to say next. I honestly don't believe they ever thought they could ever do the things that he did or say the things that he said. But Jesus said that they'll be able to do that if he leaves and sends to them his Holy Spirit. And they'd been around with Jesus long enough to know that if he said it, it had to be true. In John 14, it said, Verily I say unto you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Now you've got to wonder when they heard that phrase, if they thought back over those last three years of their ministry with Jesus. Or when they heard him say that, greater things than I have done you'll be able to do because I go to the Father. You've got to wonder what it was like for them to walk through in their minds in a split second some of the things they'd experienced with Jesus. I mean, in Matthew chapter 4, which all these verses are in your notes this morning, you go back to their early call when Jesus sees Matthew or Peter and Andrew and James and John fishing. And he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they all left their nets and left their dead and they went off to follow Jesus. Verse 23 of that section of scripture in Matthew chapter 4 said, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, the Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Greater things than these, Jesus said, because I go to the Father. 
You're kidding. But again, if Jesus said it, it had to be true. Jesus indicated in Matthew chapter 4 that all of this, everything they had seen him do is available to them. And matter of fact, not only to them, but to anyone who follows him. But it wouldn't come to those who were powerful or arrogant enough to think that they could do ministry or life on their own. Matter of fact, he goes on to define in Matthew chapter 5 who that is available to. And he begins by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the ones that will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. The end of that experience with the disciples, in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, he leaves. He returns to heaven. They wait for the promise to be fulfilled and the power of the Spirit to come. And in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit does show up. And he shows up in amazing ways, exactly as Jesus promised. And they saw the fulfillment of the promise of the power of the Spirit of God and the lives that were going to be changed as a result of what Jesus said would come true. At the end of that experience, in those moments as the Spirit of God lands on them, Peter preaches and thousands respond to the invitation. I'd be thrilled with one or two or a dozen or ten. Thousands responded to Peter's invitation. The guy who had always something to say but never seemed to say it at the right moment now speaks in an eloquent way and thousands of people respond to his salvation message. Throughout the book of Acts, people were healed, raised from the dead, lives were changed, the church was established till by the end of the book of Acts, because of the power of God's Spirit, the entire known world had heard of Jesus. And when the Spirit of God comes, he does exactly what Jesus said he would do. He gave them power to do what he called them to do and power to live the life he wanted them to live. And when the Spirit comes, he has gifts for anybody and everybody who wanted them. In your notes, there are a number of views regarding the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some get confused. Some are afraid. Some get overly zealous. Some stifle him. Some ignore him. Some try to do ministry without him. And some, if they're honest... Get in the way. But you cannot live the life that God's called us to and do what He asked us to do without Him. I thought about that for the Ten Commandments when we were studying that a few weeks ago. As I began to rehearse those commandments in my head and realize what we had talked about during those times and realizing the expectations that God has on us when He shares with us those commandments, I thought about this. Love God with every fiber of your being. Don't let anything ever get in the way. Make Sabbath a priority. Don't lie. Stay faithful. Be honest. Don't get jealous. And I thought, how do you do that? I mean, seriously, how do you do that? Which is one of the main points of the law. You need Jesus. Which is what the law kept pointing to all along, this desperate need of Christ. And then Jesus makes this unbelievable promise to those of us on this side of the cross when he said, I will send my spirit to give you the power to live the life that he's calling us to do so that you don't have to try to do it on your own. You can do it through the power of my spirit. And when the spirit comes, he never comes empty-handed. He's got something for anybody and everybody who wants it. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So Paul, over and over again in the New Testament, says, ask him. Earnestly seek it. Go after it with everything you have. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, learn as much as you can. I don't want you to be ignorant about the power of the Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant about the gifts of the Spirit. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, earnestly seek the gifts of the Spirit. In the middle of all that, he says, do it with love. Love does win. Paul knows that and emphasizes that, but he said, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The word gift in Greek is charis. It's where we get the word charisma. People who move freely in the gifts are called what? Charismatic. What charis really means is grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the saved, the rest like me. But the grace that God gives us is for more than just salvation and forgiveness, as wonderful as those things are, one of the things that God gives us is grace and power to live out the life that He's called us to. And this grace and these gifts are available to everyone. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there just for a moment. It says, to each one in verse 7 is grace given to us as Christ apportioned it. The gift of grace referred to here includes everything Jesus came to accomplish. Forgiveness, redemption, salvation, but it also includes the promise, power, and gift of the Holy Spirit. They're given for a purpose. Verse 12 says what that purpose is. To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 2,000 years ago, the manifestation of Jesus to the world, of God to the world, was through Jesus. John 1.14 is the verse that we quote every time we gather together on a Christmas celebration. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 1 of John. And then it says that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could see His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. But today in your sermon notes, the manifestation of God in this world is His church, His body. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming to get baptized by Him, he said, there He is. Everything that He had been predicting and promising and pleading about, talking to them about, was coming and manifested and fully in Jesus. He said, there He is. There's the light of the world. In the middle of Matthew, the very beginning, the outset of Jesus' ministry, He says the most amazing transitional statement when he looks at those who were sitting there that day on that mountainside, pointing down through time to all of us, and he said, you're the light of the world. John said Jesus was the light of the world. Now Jesus said, you are. You are the light to the world. So let your light shine. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, which is exactly why Jesus came in the beginning in John 1.14. And remember, the church is not a building. It's not an organization. It is ordinary people born again by the Spirit of God in whom His Spirit dwells and resides and works who utilize all the gifts that the Spirit freely gives. These gifts began with a promise and were won at the cross and available to anyone who asks. Jesus gave a promise to His disciples in Matthew. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. The picture is not a passive church, sitting huddled in a corner somewhere, hoping that the gates of hell don't beat against them so bad that they'll collapse and crumble. 
sitting around, singing, holding hands, hoping Jesus is going to come back, and that somehow we survive this battle that we're in. This is a picture that Jesus says to us in Matthew 16 of an advancing church. The church of people indwelt by the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit, using the gifts of God's Spirit, taking on hell itself in an effort to rescue people out of darkness and show them the light of Christ. How does it happen? Paul describes it. In Ephesians chapter 4, where I told you to turn a moment ago, beginning of verse 7, Paul paints a portrait. I love Scripture because it paints so amazing, so many amazing portraits. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul paints a picture. It is a picture of what took place on the cross during those three days as Jesus was in the tomb and the resurrection of Christ. In this portrait that Paul paints, he talks in this section of Scripture about Jesus defeating death and hell. It says he ascended into the deep. You often wonder what he said when he went there. I think one of the things that he certainly could have said is, Satan, what you thought was your greatest victory that day when I died on that cross has become your ultimate defeat. And then he leaves. Verse 8, it says, He ascended, he who also descended, also ascended, and led with him a host of captives. It's a quote from Psalm 68. You ought to look it up. It's a great passage of Scripture. The picture that Paul is painting here out of that section of Scripture in Psalm 68 is the picture of an ancient king who goes to battle, and he wins. And when that ancient king goes to battle and wins, he comes back and shows the people that sent him out what he was able to do and accomplish. As a matter of fact, somewhere in that parade, that ancient king brings with him some of those people that they went to battle against who are now defeated, stripped of their armor, stripped of their weapons, and he parades them in front of the people as if to say, you were afraid of them? Paul has the same picture in mind, I think, in 1 Corinthians 15 when he looks at death itself and said, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we've got victory in Christ. In the same sense, Paul paints the same picture when he says, you were afraid of them? And he leads a host of captives and parades it in front of the people. And not only does he parade them in front of the people as if to say you were afraid of them, he brings them gifts, spoils of the war, and he distributes them among the people. Every once in a while, they'll just pass them out to everyone and let the people take as many as they want. It's the same imagery that Paul is using here in this section of Scripture. Yet in this case, when he describes it in Ephesians chapter 6, he's saying these gifts have the power to change lives. So here they are. Who wouldn't want to then go down and pick up those gifts and use them for the glory of God? I'll be honest with you, a lot of people. Some would actually say those gifts aren't for us today. They're only for the apostles. What are you, an apostle? When they died, there wasn't a need for those gifts anymore. As if the job of bringing people out of darkness was completed. Some would actually have, it's hard to believe, but some would actually have the arrogance to tell you what gifts are for today and what gifts aren't. I find it pretty clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 who does that. It's the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who what? Distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in them all. And everyone, it's the same God at work. 
To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, given for everyone's common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and this is a key phrase, and it's He who distributes each one of them, just as He determines. Not a theologian, not a church, not a theological doctrine, not a specific brand of believers, but it's He who decides who gets them and what He gets. And some would actually see these gifts distributed by the king and leave them laying on the ground. All I want is salvation. I just want to ride to heaven. I just want to know that my sins are forgiven and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and the next step is heaven. That's kind of all I want out of this spiritual life. It's kind of all I want out of Christ. That's kind of all I want out of spirituality. And they leave all of those gifts laying on the ground. But for those who are willing to make themselves available to the Spirit of God and to His power, it can be life-changing. And not only for them, but for all of those who re they reach because of the power of Christ, it can change lives forever. To everyone and anyone who is willing to allow themselves to be available to God, to use, to empower, to fill, and to give. And so Paul says, earnestly seek it. One of the questions that I'm always asked by a number of people throughout the years is, what is God's will for me? Well, I'll tell you one of the things is what His will is for you. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. four. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul prays to that end. In Ephesians chapter 3, he said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives this name. I pray that out of His glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. It begins with our willingness to submit to God's will. To say, here I am, I love what you did for me on the cross. I love what you've made available to me. I love the fact that I've been forgiven and I can start all over again. But to know that you can now use me and fill me, cleanse me, and empower me and enable me to use those gifts for the glory of God, I'm available to that. I want everything you want to give me. And I'll use them for your glory. But it begins that way. Paul says in Ephesians, in a New Testament translation in the Greek, be continually filled with the Spirit. Be always in a place where I'm making myself constantly and continually available to God so that His Spirit can speak to me and through me and that I can use all the gifts for His glory. And I make myself available to Him so that through His Spirit I can do what He asked me to do and I can live the way He's called me to live and I can serve Him in a way that changes lives forever. 
Last Sunday morning, I said to you, we face a powerful enemy who is out to destroy you and I. He's not out to trip you up or to make you late for church. He's out to destroy you. And you can't take him on on your own. You may think you have enough ability and power to take him on on your own, but you can't. He's stronger than you and he's more powerful than you. But he's not more powerful than the one who is in you and the one who can work through you as you take on that battle and you take on that enemy. Which is why before I leave this morning on a two-week vacation, I want to make sure you understand all that Christ has made available to us. And then we find ourselves in a position where we make ourselves available to him. And let him fill us, use us, empower us, and gift us for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your grace. It is amazing. I'll never get over all that you make available to us. I'll never get over all that you do for us. I still couldn't believe it when you said to them that it would be better that you went away until I read continually in your word and I see what they were able to do because they made themselves available to you in your spirit. And so 2,000 years after that, we are, your children here in this place and in this setting, have the opportunity and had the opportunity through the years to do the same, to make ourselves available to you. And so, Father, in these quiet moments, in the name of Jesus, we just simply open our hands to you and we make ourselves available to you to be continually filled with your Spirit, saturated and overflowing, to fully realize all that you've made available to us and then do what you've asked us to do and live the way you've called us to live so that we can serve you with power and see lives changed forever and brought out of darkness into the light of Christ to be changed forever. And so hear us as we speak and as we pray.